Hi guys, it's Josh Rubin here at Douglas Elliman in New York with our latest edition of the Rubin Special with my good friend David Solomon joining us live from Los Angeles. Dave, how you doing, man? I'm awesome. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. Uh, you know, Dave, we have a lot of uncertainty, but we're starting to come out of it. We're online inquiries uh, pick up, so I'm super excited for the next few weeks. We have some that are online. What are you seeing out on the West Coast? I mean, honestly, right now I'm seeing a lot of activity for the first 45 days or so of this whole Corona COVID mess. It was dead in the water. I thought the world was falling apart. And the last two weeks is maybe two and a half weeks has built a lot of confidence for me. And um, I'm still seeing a shortage of supply. I'm still seeing a, a lot of buyers pent up demand and people just getting restless sitting at home ready to, to make a move on something. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we're seeing people stay in their homes, figure out what's wrong with them and find out the need that they actually need, you know, either more space or, or different space, whether it's the location or they need an extra bedroom or the space is too large for them. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty excited for uh, you know, what's coming up in, in, the, in the summer. And I actually think that we're going to see almost like a delayed spring market. Totally. I agree 100 percent. I mean, I'm hearing rumors right now that a lot of you guys in New York we're actually thinking about moving out this way. So I'm, you know, I'm excited about that. Um, but um, no, I think, I think, uh, you know, the normal buyers that we see, you know, March through really end of May, June, um, it's just a delayed. It's just everybody, I think June and, and July are going to be massive months for us. Um, so I've yeah. seen the same thing. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if we see like the busiest June and July uh, you know, in a long time and, and perhaps even set some records. Yeah. I mean, normally I, in my experience, August is always the, the slowest month of the year. Um, this year with a lot of schools, I think starting in August, I'm, I, at least that's what I'm hearing is when they're going to start. Cause normally my kid's school starts in September. Um, I think you're going to see a big rush, like you said, June and July, but there's going to be more people here actually in August. Cause normally people are traveling during August. So, It'll be interesting to see how this whole summer plays out. You know, it's interesting, Dave, you bring up the idea of, of traveling. And I think what, what we're going to see is people's travel patterns are going to be uh, changing. People are going to be staying much closer to home. So we're not going to necessarily see the you know big trips to Europe or uh, Canada, South America or Asia, uh, you know, that some of our, our clients have done in the last few years. So, you know, we might just rent a house at the beach and stay closer to home. So that's going to provide you know more availability uh, and more people looking in the, in the slower months. Typically, we see uh, business sort of drop off a little bit post Fourth of July through Labor Day, and then it's not until about October first that we see business pick up. But you're going to see those, those patterns are going to change in such a way uh, that we're going to see very very active uh, summer months. Yeah, without a doubt, a lot of the people sort of in my circle that travel, whether they go to you know, whether they go to Europe or they go to Hawaii or wherever they are, everybody sounds like they're just staying local this year. Um, being me, the deal guy that I am, I, I want to take a trip somewhere. I'm just ready to get out of here. But yeah, the guys that I know and the families I know normally that go overseas, I'm actually getting calls from people saying, hey, we're thinking about maybe buying a second home in the desert or we're thinking about doing a road trip here to explore this or explore that. So I, I don't, I think we're going to see Maybe even the secondary housing markets here, um, out in places like the desert where things are more spread out, um, it pick up for sure. And, and I think you're going to see even like our market in Malibu, 
I think, you know, um, we're going to have even local families here that say, you know what, let's just do a staycation this summer. Let's go rent the killer house out in Malibu or let's go you get a house in the desert. I mean, the desert's kind of a little too hot in the summertime, but I think you're going to see a lot of local people just do what they can to do sort of a staycation this summer. And they may think about like moving out of like maybe condensed part of the cities and going more out to sort of r- rural areas. Not that Malibu's rural, but you know, maybe they'll go to places just where they get a little more land and things are a little more spread out. Sure. You know, there's definitely uh, a little bit of a, a change in the pattern here too, with people putting more emphasis on uh, second homes, you know, similar to what you're talking about in, in uh, you know, in the desert and other areas around LA, we're seeing that happen a little bit more in say, you know, Western New Jersey, whether it be uh, Sussex County or Hunterdon County, you know, a little bit uh, more rural. And then of course, up into the Hudson Valley, uh, we've seen an uptick in uh, activity in, in uh, Northern Westchester, Connecticut, out onto Long Island. And, you know, people are finding that these homes in these areas aren't necessarily the million dollar homes that we all hear about and read about in the Hamptons. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. The Hamptons, uh, you know, is great. And, you know, people find those homes to be very attractive, beautiful beaches, et cetera. A lot of their friends from the city go out there. But, you know, when you start thinking about second homes and, you know, I don't have two, three, four, four more million dollars to throw down on a house, where can I get a house? You know, you're looking at places like Upper Westchester, Connecticut, and Western New Jersey, where, you know, sometimes you can find a perfectly good home with some acreage uh, for, you know, a million dollars or less. So it's a more affordable option for second home markets, and people can still have their their footprint in the city for convenience when it comes time to getting back into the swing of things uh, uh, for work. You know, we're probably going to see people get back uh, into their, you know, daily uh, routines probably sometime around September 1st, as they start thinking about bringing the kids back for school and things will start to normalize then. Yeah, for sure. I'd I'd say it's basically a mirror of that here for sure. Yeah. So Dave, you recently uh, joined Douglas Elliman from the agency where you were for a number of years, but you have sort of a unique perspective on things just because of, you know, how you came into the business. Uh, can you tell our viewers a little bit about about your your introduction to the business and when you realized it was something that you wanted to do as a career? Yeah, totally. So I, I you know, I grew up in the business. My my mom's been selling real estate since I was probably five years old. Um, but as a kid, you don't really look at these things. Um, you're just like, I hope my mom's like available or somebody, parents available or somebody's available. Like, go drop you off at the beach because you want to go surfing, you know, and you don't live right on the beach. Um, so my mom was always cool because she was able to do that kind of stuff for me when I was not old enough to drive. And um, as I got older, I'm like, God, I remember my mom used to be able to do this stuff. And it wasn't like she was in an office nine to five. So as I was in college, I uh, started exploring different things I wanted to do. And frankly, I wasn't really quite sure what I wanted to do. So I dabbled in real estate a little bit, not working with my mom, but working with a different team down in San Diego. Um, and uh, I did fairly well. I was always that kid that hustled. Like when we were kids and we had to sell, you know, chocolate bars door to door or wrapping paper. And so I was very competitive with that stuff. I had no problem going and knocking on somebody's door to try to sell them something. So um, I got in the business down in San Diego first uh, on my own. Did pretty well for, you know, a 23-year-old kid that didn't need much. You know, did a few deals. But I wasn't taking life too seriously then. I would do a deal all of a sudden I was like rich and I would go on a surf trip for two months. Um, <laughs> so, 
So during one of those surf trips, um, I met somebody and I thought, you know, my life was going to change and I was going to grow up. And I'm like, you know, maybe it's time. My mom was getting older. She'd probably punch me in the face if she heard me say that because she wasn't that old at the time. But um, and she's still not that old. Um, but um, I go, maybe there's an opportunity for me to bring what I've learned down in San Diego, what I've done down there and um, come up here. And, and you know, I, I grew up in L.A., so I felt there was more opportunities here than there were in San Diego. Although really at this point in my career, I feel like I can move anywhere because I have the tools to uh, succeed. Um, so I moved up to L.A. Um, I frankly really didn't know what I was doing um, still in the business because I'd only been in it for maybe a year and a half, two years down in San Diego. But like I said, it wasn't really a full-time thing then. Um, so I came up to L.A. I really didn't know what I was doing. It wasn't like mom was just handing me deals. She really never handed me a deal. It was really sink or swim. So I went to this Tom Ferry seminar in like 2006, I think, in the desert. It was when the whole world was selling real estate. It was when the DJ was selling real estate. It was when the waiter was selling real estate. It was literally everybody was selling real estate. This was right before the first, uh, the first crash of my career. Um, so I was sitting in that room, in the very back of the room, wasn't in coaching or anything like that. And I heard somebody get on the stage and they were talking about expired listings. And I had no idea at that point what an expired listing was. So I was like, wow, these are people that want to sell that listed with somebody who failed to sell their home. I think I could offer them something better or do it better. So um, I built out an expired campaign within my first probably 30 days of doing it. I, landed a listing in the most exclusive building at the time in Los Angeles. Um, wow. was my I'm sorry, which building was that, Dave? It's called Sierra Towers. Uh-huh. So I landed a listing there. That was like, I got some lady on the phone. I have no idea, some old lady. I didn't know what I was doing. My mom was out of town. I'm like, she had a partner at the time who she no longer works with. and. Um, that lady wasn't even available. So I like went on this listing appointment by myself. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> but the lady's like, let's go. Let's get this thing signed up. It was actually my first listing ever in LA was this lady was very wealthy. She had bought the condo next to her to turn into her bathroom and closet. So my first listing ever was selling a bathroom and a closet. Um, <laughs> and um, literally there was a giant pink bathtub sitting in the middle of the room and that's what I sold. And uh, so that was sort of my introduction, how I got started. And then, you know, just up and up from there and the whole snowball effect with everything, you know? Yeah. You know, I, I think I might, uh, I might know that seller. It sounds like uh, a relative of mine with the pink, with the pink tub. Yeah. Straight out of like Scarface, just a giant pink bathtub in the middle of like a thousand square foot closet. Yeah. I actually had to sell a listing, uh, an old loft where you walk into the, the master bedroom, up some steps onto a platform, and right in the middle of the entire bedroom is a four-person chartreuse jacuzzi just out in the open, uh, you know, in the middle of the bedroom. It was, uh, it was quite, quite an experience selling that. 
needless to say, the people who bought that got renovated it. Shocker, right? Yeah. So, so the person that bought that was, um, there's a company called First Team Real Estate out here. Not big in LA, but very big in Orange County. The owner of that bought that for his kid. And the struggle for me on my first deal was he was trying to get some financing for his kid. Well, it's hard to get financing for a place that has no kitchen or, and literally just a, a bathroom in a closet. So he ended up paying cash for that deal, um, which was sort of like an eye opener to LA real estate because everybody's showing up with a suitcase of cash and just buying these deals cash as like they are, I'm sure, for the majority of stuff that happens in New York. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely have our share of cash buyers. Um, in fact, I, I sold a townhouse a few years back uh, to, uh, to a nice enough guy who uh, came in and um, it had a rent controlled tenant on the top floor. And so the family had owned this house for about 50 years. We sold the, uh, the house to this guy. Uh, we ended up uh, you know, representing both sides, the buyer and seller. <clears throat> and we were in contract, it was an all cash deal. And all cash deals, of course, as you know, Dave, doesn't actually mean that you're bringing the proverbial suitcase. It just means yeah. that you're writing a check from your checking account at the closing. And so I'll never forget it. I was driving somewhere with my family on a weekend and, uh, and the buyer calls me. We're in contract. We're supposed to be closing in you know maybe a month or six weeks. And the buyer calls me and he says, hey, Josh, I uh, just wanted to uh, know if perchance the seller might be willing to close a little bit sooner and maybe uh, give me a little bit of a credit if I, if I close with cash. So I said to the buyer, well, of course you're closing with cash. The deal is all cash. And he said, no, I mean like cash, like just, you know, I'll bring a, I'll bring a bag or a box with literal cash. <clears throat> and I said to the buyer, I said, you know, we can't, we can't do that. It's illegal to actually pay with currency um, and not, you not report it in some way. So I said, as much as I appreciate the opportunity, I, I'm going to have to advise you not to do that. Um, because it would it would upset the situation, and so he understood, and he wound up closing for the agreed upon amount with with a check on the closing date. Um, have you ever had any any interesting situations with people and and literal like cash for coming to the closing, saying, okay, I know that I'm supposed to be buying this for say two million dollars, and here's a million eight check and two hundred thousand dollars in cash. I mean, I get people all the time that. Um or always trying to you know work the system or try to figure out a way how to make something work that might not be exactly kosher and you know I play by the book because this is my this is my just that's just how I do things um, right I did have a client uh, recently a couple of days before I think the day of closing it was a that was my biggest deal ever and he's like I'll just go drop off a check for you know fifteen million bucks or whatever it is and I'm like. Escrow's like, you can't just like bring in a check and expect it's just going to clear $15 million like today, you know? We need you to do right. a wire. So he's <laughs> like, you know, he's not used to having like doing these things himself. His like person wasn't there. So he had to actually run into the bank and set up like a direct deposit or something. But, you know, nothing too crazy because, you know, most of these things we have to do by the book. So, uh, but I, you know, we get proposals all the time for interesting stuff. Sure. And, uh, you Dave, working on the on the Solomon uh, group or the Solomon team, you know, what's it like day to day working with your mom? I mean, she's obviously obviously a legend in her own right. Uh, you know, had a good book of business before you joined her. Uh, then you you know sort of helped elevate the team uh, to a certain level. Certainly brought a sense of vitality and, and youth 
Um, but can you can you walk us through the day to day? Yeah, I mean, I can say I can definitely say we're we're two very different personalities. Um, so there's a lot of butting heads and different things. You know, I have one sort of vision of how I want this company run. She's got a different vision um, sometimes. So there's definitely some conflict. And if you don't have thick skin and you work for us, um, you know, you're a newer sort of assistant or something like that. There's, there's probably times that they get fairly frightened um, from the yelling and screaming that's going on. But, you know, it's all in good, you know, in, in a good manner because um, we're both very passionate about what we do. Um, she sort of allowed me to take the reins of building the team. I mean, frankly, when I first started in this business, she didn't even have like a full-time assistant. So the first thing that I did was, you know, she was just old school. She had one partner. They split everything 50-50. Her partner, frankly, didn't do SHIT, pardon my language here. Um, and, I, and everybody's always said that to her. I go, what value are you getting out of this partner that you have that does nothing? And perfect example is when I joined the team, she couldn't even come with me on this listing appointment because she had something else she had to do that had nothing to do with our business. So <laughs> I think after a year of me being in the business and my mom seeing the value that I was bringing to the team and growing the business, she got rid of the other partner um, and sort of let me take the direction because she saw like all of a sudden I was implementing these systems and processes that she never had. I mean, the first thing I did was I went out and hired an assistant who was one of my friends who was like, had no job and nothing going on. And I was like, I'll give you 500 bucks a week cash. Um, and I had him starting to do all the expired campaigns and stuff like that, that I was doing. And all of a sudden the business started growing and my network started growing. So my mom saw that I was bringing a lot of value to the table. And we, um, at that point, I never really grew a team until, God, we never, ever, really, I mean, if I think about it, like, it was just my mother, myself, and finally she agreed to get an assistant that wasn't like my assistant, we got a team assistant. Um, and then we got, a, uh, so we got a director of operations finally, like, maybe just like four or five years ago. Then we got a director of marketing. And then the last two years, I brought on a couple of buyer's agents. So <clears throat> it wasn't until recently that we decided to expand the team because I was bringing in so much stuff that I couldn't handle. Um, and so I've taken a lot of the, the, the direction and the vision of where I want the team to go. And she sort of just like continued to do her thing. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's a day in the life of our team is interesting because there's so many different moving parts and there's so many different personalities. Um, we try to meet once a week, um, these days more, you know, zoom meetings and meetings, right. you know, uh, electronically versus face to face. Um, but you know, there's, there's a lot of different personalities. There's a lot of different, um, everybody's a go-getter. So it's, it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm there. I talk to my agents. I talk to everybody on the team. Usually at least once a day through whether it's through a phone call, text message. We try to do everything through Slack these days. So a lot of stuff's done through Slack. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely an interesting dynamic. Yeah. 
<clears throat> I can I can imagine how it would be challenging. You know, there are a lot of people who do like the husband and wife thing. I know of a couple of people who do, you know, the sort of uh, mother son uh, team. There there are some friends of mine, actually, uh, people that I worked with uh, in New Jersey uh, that that are doing the mother and son team. Uh, PJ and Ellen Tosico, who are who are great and have been very successful with it. So it, it can work as long as you have you know, respect and admiration for each other. Um, so it, it can, you know, it has, obviously has its own set of challenges, but it, but it can definitely uh, come together. So uh, Dave, I'm just curious. I know that, uh, you know, we've, we've both had our um, sort of hurdles that have been put in front of us over the last uh, uh, few weeks, but at the end of the day, um, you know, we're both going to get through this stronger than ever. Um, you know, do you see any sort of innovations coming from, uh, the the pandemic and the stay home orders uh, that might be here to stay in terms of our, our daily lives and business. Um, I, I don't know if there's been much innovation because I feel like a lot of these things were innovated before. I think that people are just starting to implement stuff that should have been um, implemented like a while back. Like a lot of sort of the 360 3D tours, like that stuff we were doing a long time ago. But you know, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't say that uh we were consistently doing it these days it's like i mean we always try to do videos for stuff but these days it's like everything's got to have a video everything's got to have a 360 tour you know and in my opinion high quality not take the cell phone and use the zillow app and just like zoom around on it like i went out right. personally and bought the highest end camera in my opinion that you could get um to do those uh and you know, digital floor plans we're doing these days. So we're just doing stuff that like we've always had the tools to. I wouldn't say there's any new innovation really, in my opinion. I think we're just learning that maybe we don't need some big fancy office uh, in terms of like, you know, like, yeah, do you need a physical space? Like, no, maybe a place to meet with the team, but like, it's nice to have that human interaction. Um, but I think we're learning that we can do a lot more stuff virtually than having to be in person. Um, and a lot of this stuff still comes down to the, ba the, the basics. I mean, real estate, in my opinion, is something you have to touch and you have to feel. So, you know, I don't think – I did just close a deal that was 100% virtual, which I never thought was going to happen. Huh. Um, I just closed it this morning. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, honestly, I wish I could. I still have never even been in the, in the property myself. It was just somebody from my team who brought in the deal. Um, and so, you know, I sent my guys out there to do the 360 tour. I sent my guys out there to do the video. I sent them to do the floor plans. I sent them to do the pictures. Um, I personally never stepped foot in this property. Uh, but um, I still think real estate's a thing you have to touch. You got to feel, meaning you got to walk in and you got to feel the, energy of the place. You got to feel the vibe of a place, you know, there's only so much that it's, a picture can tell. Um, so I don't think that's going to change, but there's going to be tools that allow people to be maybe more efficient with their time that allow them to walk through or look at a floor plan and just check something off the list and say, this one for sure doesn't work just based off the floor plan or I'm doing the 360 tour. And like, I can just tell like, this space doesn't work. Um, so I think maybe it'll help all of us make our businesses run more efficiently. Yeah. By, you know, I'll say one thing, 
we've been pre-screening people a lot more. So if you want to come look at one of our properties during this sort of pandemic, you know, I need to see proof of funds and or a pre-approval letter. So I'm not wasting my time with somebody who's just like a looky-loose, just wants to browse around and maybe if they like something, they'll, then they'll go see if they can get qualified for it. So, yeah. you know, I think it's, it's making us run our businesses in a more professional manner. And I think that's something that I see is going to change a bit. Yeah. So being a little bit more careful, pre-screening your, pro, your prospective buyers, making sure that they're not wasting their time and you're not wasting yours. 100%. I mean, we're sending everybody, um, all the agents, we're sending them like, here's the link to our website that shows everything you need to see to make for your client to make the proper decision if this is the right house that they want to come see. Okay. So please have them review this first. Then if they want to see it after that, please send us the pre-approval and their proof of funds. You know, if I can't Google this person and see that they have, you know, sufficient amount of money to buy this property, you know, if they're serious and they're really looking to buy, they're going to send me that pre-approval letter, you know, or a letter from a banker and accountant that says so-and-so has sufficient funds with us to be able to purchase this property. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, we, we always have to make sure that, that, that people are serious and can actually do the things that they're setting out to achieve. You know, speaking of which, uh, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to uh, to uh, an internationally acclaimed musician, and uh, he told me that he was going to be all cash, and he was looking for a certain type of space in the say four to uh, seven million dollar range, and uh, he owned a, a pretty big loft already uh, in Chelsea, and so we looked pretty aggressively. Uh, for an, a number of months and ultimately found the the right space for him. Now, the other space that he owned was a condominium and we had been looking at both co-ops and condos. And as, as you know, Dave, co-ops require a little bit more of a rigorous approval process and that they screen your financials and they make sure that you can you know, keep up with your obligations. So we went to contract on this co-op, which was a uh, penthouse in Soho that required a gut renovation uh, I think he bought it for somewhere around 4.6 or $4.8 million. And uh, so we got the application and it was one of these older sort of artist type co-ops. So the process was a little bit more basic. Uh, so we got the application and uh, we said, okay, uh, to the client, you're going to have to provide us with your tax returns, your bank and brokerage statements, a couple of business and a couple of uh, personal reference letters. And he said, okay. And then he gave us his bank statement and his bank statement had uh, 10% of the purchase price uh, in it. And yeah. he's buying this thing all cash, like writing a check from his checking account. But the only problem is he didn't have enough cash. So I said, um, wait a second, you're buying this place. that's almost $5 million for cash. And you have about half a million dollars in, in your accounts. So where's the rest of the money coming from? And he was from Europe. And he said, oh, it's coming from Europe. And I said, okay, do you have a statement with your bank in Europe? And he said, uh, sure. uh, he gave me a statement, we did the conversion, and it came out to be another two or $300,000. And I said, well, where are you getting this money from? And he said, oh, my bank in Europe is actually gonna loan me the money. <laughs> and we're going through a co-op process at the same time. And I'm like, oh my God, we're gonna get a board turned down here. Except that the board application 
did not it did not require bank statements. So you know sometimes you can be uh, you know luckier than good, and in this case uh, we were damn lucky because in any other case we would have gotten flatly turned down. But in this case, the board reviewed the application. They met with the buyer. They approved the buyer, and and the buyer's bank in Europe was actually able to come through with the money, and we closed. But that was like really close, and not what I would recommend anyone doing. So if you're working with a cash buyer, please at some point before you make an offer, get proof of funds, and you can actually blame the listing agent and say, hey. I know that you know you're all cash and you're good to go, but the listing agent, as part of the offer, wants to see proof of funds. So that would be a good idea. By the way, I was going to say, I mean, I don't know if this happens in New York because I thought the where you were going with the story was you were going to tell me that the buyer was a fake buyer. Um, but we have so many fake buyers out there. There are so many weird people that they just want to get into like a celebrity house or they just want to home shop and feel like they're rich for a day and go look at multi-million dollar houses. I mean, they're all over the place. Um, and obviously when you're newer in the business, the second somebody says they want to go look at a $10 million house, a buyer, like, oh, let's go. Like, I'll get you in anything you want to get into. Um, but these days, it's easier than ever, especially right now with what's going on, to be able to say, Mr. and Mrs. Buyer, the property that we're going to see, the agent and the homeowner are requiring us to provide them with a proof of funds prior to, to seeing this house. So can you show us something? You know, is there something that we can show them? You know, a letter from somebody, that a verifiable yeah. letter. Um, right. That way you don't waste your time. I mean, I can't tell you when I was newer in the business, like how many guys I would take around that were like these playboys living in like these, you know, $1,200 a month apartments that I didn't know about and going out with their, you know, their girlfriends for the day to show them like these $8 million houses to show off to them. And later for me to find out that they were living in these $1,200 apartments and they, they could not afford even like a you know, $700,000 con and I just wasted a day showing them properties with their girlfriend. Um, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, that, that buyer did show up with, with one of those girls. And uh, I'll never forget, it was on the cobblestone streets of Tribeca. And it was in February and there had been like a snowstorm a couple days before. So there was some snow and ice on the ground. And I was wearing probably like boots or something. And the buyer showed up and he's wearing his sort of, you know, trendy combat boot type look. And yeah. his girlfriend had open toe high heels. And I said, where are you from? And she said, you know, she was from California. And I said, oh, California, where about? said something like Van Nuys or something like that. Yeah. And, and I and I said, oh, isn't that where they make those movies? And she said, she looked at me kind of like, Whoa. and uh, it turned out I wasn't that far off. Let's just leave it at that, okay? Yeah, I got it. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back into the swing of things here. I'm super pumped for the stay-at-home order to be lifted and things starting to return back to normal. Uh, like I said, I think it's going to be a, a couple of months. Um, and as we wrap up here, Dave, um, you know, I, I always like to ask my guests, is there anything that, that makes you unique or sets you apart? Uh, any any uh, hidden talent that you might have? I know you like to surf, but, you know, anything creative or anything like that? I mean, hidden talents. I mean, I'm a struggling photographer that I've sort of picked up doing that just as a hobby. 
when my son was born, I went out and I said, you know, I didn't want to document his whole life on my iPhone. So I went out at the time and bought a nice camera and sort of self-taught myself how to take pictures. And uh, I trained myself basically how to take pictures, but I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm like an expert in it. I really enjoy it. Um, I've definitely got some magical moments that I've been able to document of his life, which is, you know, something I'm proud of. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I uh, see a couple of things definitely that have come out of this whole thing. I mean, this whole pandemic, um, I've definitely stepped up my cooking skills. And if real estate doesn't work out, maybe I could open a restaurant one day. Although, <laughs> you know, I don't know if I really want brick and mortar. Um, but yeah, I like cooking, photography. I surf okay. Um, and uh, I guess the thing that separates me from sort of the rest is I'm just a normal person. You know, I'm not the guy that's going to wear a suit and tie every day. I just want me, especially when I first got in the business, I would wear super fancy clothes and like try to be somebody I wasn't. Um, I finally like made it in my career where it's like I let my sort of sales and what I've done speak for itself. And I just want to connect with people on a real level and not be fake. And so, you know, I, I don't try to be somebody I'm not. Um, I'm not so hungry for a deal that like, I'm going to push somebody into something, even if, if it's not the right deal. So, you know, I, I, I really do value uh, my reputation and what I've built. And I think that's what separates me from the most because most people really don't care about their reputation and will do whatever it takes to get a deal done. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's a good point. A lot of people get caught up in the moment and they have what I affectionately refer to as commission breath. They do whatever it takes that they feel that they need to do in order to get that deal done, but they're not worried about the consequences. So, you know, they'll wind up selling their uh, client something that they, you know, probably shouldn't have bought in the first place, or, you know, they paid too much for it. Uh, or, you know, didn't do their due diligence on it. You know, so when you buy a house, obviously you need to do all sorts of inspections, whether it's termite, radon, et cetera. I know there are some other layers to the equation out in LA, uh, a lot of nuances to the various markets. And, you know, now more than ever, who you work with matter matters. And so, you know, it's important that, that people find people like you and find people like me that are, you know, authentic and just, you know, ourselves. And we're not gonna put on airs to try to, you know, achieve something that that we're not or or be someone that you know we're we're not meant to be totally i agree 100 percent. yeah so uh david solomon of douglas element thanks so much for joining us today it's been a lot of fun chatting thanks for having me josh it was awesome connecting hopefully we'll see you soon